Hi there, this is Dana Sparks. You remember me as Ensign Williams on Star Trek Next Generation. And right now you're listening to Trek Untold. Hello and welcome to Trek Untold, the Star Trek podcast that goes beyond the stars. I'm your host, Matthew Kaplowitz. We've got some real entertaining stories on today's episode, and that's courtesy of our guest, Dana Sparks. Dana appeared in the second season of Star Trek The Next Generation in the episode titled Contagion. Now, with everything going on in the world right now, it might not be the best title to speak about, but it's very different from what's actually happening in the world today. If you are looking for a Trek episode about viruses, don't worry, there's plenty of those out there too. But this episode is really about a sort of computer virus that attacks starships that come close to its planet of origin, causing them to go haywire and eventually explode. Dana played Ensign Williams and got to spend time in uniform on the bridge of the Enterprise with Commander Riker antagonizing her while the ship can barely maintain power. Beyond Star Trek, Dana is a very accomplished actress whose credits include Falcon Crest, Murder, She Wrote, L.A. Law, Matlock, Baywatch, Full House, Jag, Melrose Place, and the bizarre daytime soap opera Passions. We'll chat about some of those shows today, in addition to the usual Trek talk. Dana's got a lot of good stories from a lot of different sets. I think this is going to be a real fun episode. And as a side note on that note of things being fun this time around, towards the end of this interview, I've got a pretty epic flub that I decided to leave in, mostly because I think it's kind of funny. You'll know it when you hear it. It's only mildly embarrassing to me, so meh, I've said far worse things on this show than that. Before we begin this episode, I'd like to remind you to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Trek Untold. All one word, no spaces. If you want to check out some of our Trek Untold merchandise, you can also do that on our Teespring store, which you can find on teespring.com slash stores slash Trek Untold where we've got shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, tote bags, and all sorts of other things available to proudly display how much you like this podcast. If you're having trouble finding the link, just check us out again on social media, and you'll see us posting about it from time to time there as well. You can also support our show by visiting patreon.com slash trekuntold. If you're already following us or offering us your support, thank you for your help. Most of all, if you can't support us financially, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. This helps more people find out about the show and helps spread awareness of Trek Untold. I'd also like to make a quick shout out to our friends at Triple Fiction Productions, who make some great 3D printed Star Trek inspired products for toys and people, but you'll hear more about them a little bit later on. Now, without further ado, let's beam up this week's guest. Computer, access interview file. Affirmative. Initiating program. All right, welcome back to Trek Untold. And now joining me on the other side of the line, we have someone who you guys remember from Star Trek Next Generation, but also plenty of other shows that you guys have likely seen. And that person is Dana Sparks. Dana, how's it going today? I am great. Thank you, Matthew. That was a fantastic introduction. Oh, you're going to have a far, <laughs> far better one when we do the actual full show uh, in my prologue. You'll hear that one. <laughs> <laughs> and there is a lot to talk about because you've been doing shows for many, many years. You've got a long history of dramas, comedies, all sorts of things. And we're going to talk about a whole bunch of those today, as well as your Star Trek appearance. Uh, but first things first, I got to ask you the customary first question, and that's what's your earliest memory of Star Trek? Oh, my earliest memory of Star Trek must be watching it, of course, the original Star Trek 
probably around the dinner hour. Um, I don't remember actually when it came on because I was a kid and didn't have those concepts, but I just so remember Captain Kirk the most. I mean, I just thought he was, he was it. And I was pretty young when I watched that. So it was amazing that I kind of cued into to Kirk, but I did. He was the guy for me. Yeah. Well, you can't beat Kirk. You can't beat his charisma, especially back in you know the original Trek days. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was crazy. I mean, I just, and I, and the funny thing is, is that he's one of the first celebrities that I ever met too. And I was really young and we were in Hawaii and my brother goaded me over to, to go say hi to him. So I did. <laughs> <laughs> And was he nice back to you? As I recall, yeah, I think so. I don't. It, it was more the 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 walking up to him and, and daring to do it than the actual meeting that I remember. So, um, I guess it wasn't anything outrageously wonderful, but I don't think it was bad, or I would have remembered that. So, <laughs> I'd like to ask you uh, tell us a little bit about where you grew up, who your parents were, and what they did, and what little Dana wanted to be when she grew up. Ah, so I grew up in Northern California, a town called Orinda, really lovely community with rolling hills. And I was fortunate to have a, a pony in my backyard. So um, I was kind of tomboy, free ranging child in the hills on the other side of Berkeley. So um, it was a pretty wonderful childhood, I have to say. And um, I love going back there and visiting my lifetime friends, actually. There's a small theater there, the Arenda Theater, that has been renovated. And, um, of course, they're closed. But uh, I just want to give a shout-out to Arenda, my hometown, and the theater, too, because it's they run all the old stuff, and they do live music nights. And it's it's so nice to have a town that's actually got a small theater that, that's run with community in mind. So it's a shout-out to them. would be nice. All right, yeah, sounds like a cool thing to have happen. Yes, and it's a really if you look at pictures of it, it's one of the, it's a really great marquee. It's like one of those big towering marquees that you can see from the freeway. Like when you drive from Berkeley into like over to Walnut Creek or something, everybody's like, "Oh yeah, the theater sign. I know that place." So it's the Rinda Theater. It's really beautiful. Oh, it's a very cool town. It's a good childhood. Now, uh, who are your parents and what do they do for a living? So my parents were Jim and Joyce or more formerly, Mr. and Mrs. Burchell. But I was the third kid, and it was the 70s, so we all called him Jim and Joyce. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my dad was a lawyer in San Francisco, and my mother had a few things that she was doing. She did a lot of charity work, and she ran a shop of her own. She had a, a floral and gift shop that she had, and she also um, oh, uh, mostly florists is what she really loved to do. So, um, yeah, that was my parents. They were great. They were really community minded and, and really brought the neighborhood together. One of the cool things that I found out when I went back to a high school reunion is that everybody remembered the great parties that my parents would throw. And it was just open neighborhood party. Come on by. And it was things like Halloween. We'd had he, my dad would go buy 50 pumpkins. And, you know, it was that era when you could you know, have an open house party for your neighborhood and hand every child a knife That's fun. and get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everybody would come over and carve pumpkins and bob for apples. And they, they were really inclusive, wonderful, generous parents. Unfortunately, they both passed when I was in my twenties. So, uh, yeah, I have very fond memories of them both. That's very good. 
So did you think you were going to follow in their footsteps and be maybe a lawyer or a florist? Or what did you have aspirations to be at that age? You know, I kind of thought I was going to be a photographer. Um, I had my my father was a photographer and, and very much into it and did his own printing. And I'm still discovering some of his work because I'm starting to scan his slides that I'd never seen before. He had a really good eye. And he put a camera in my hand very early, and I, I kind of learned the power of the camera to tell a story and also the power of a camera in that people will change their story in front of a camera. But I just ended up on the other side. I guess it was fate. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't desire desperately to be an actress, although I, I was always very playful and, and would put on little shows and stuff like that. So before you entered the acting world, you were in modeling, correct? That's right. Yes, I was. So how'd you get involved in modeling and how did that take you eventually into the world of acting? Well, modeling started because, again, I think my mom decided me that I needed to um, get out of my jeans and wash my hair once in a while. So when I was in high school, she asked me if I wanted to go to a modeling school in San Francisco. And at first I thought, no. And then she said, well, but you'd get to take BART into San Francisco every day by yourself. And I was like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> so I went went to modeling school and they taught us a little bit of acting and a lot about, you know, how to carry yourself and what you should wear and how to put on too much makeup and all that stuff. Cause it was, it was the mm, late seventies. So it was like glammy, glammy makeup and oh, stuff. Yeah. And I enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah. It was very fun. And, and it was, I was in drama by then in high school. So it, it kind of went hand in hand. Um, and the, the modeling school would uh, put on some fashion shows with, um, I don't know who it was with, but there was a big fashion show that I was involved with and uh, an agent saw me and wanted to meet me and hired me to be in um, not so much print actually by that time, but commercials. Mm, okay. So yeah, modeling led to commercials and the first commercial I went out on, I got and, uh, the first commercial audition I went out on. I got it and booked it and it was a national Coca-Cola commercial. So I was quickly on my way, had my SAG card, and thought, well, this is easy. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I imagine they'll be on a set really. for... <laughs> no, no. I imagine they'll be on a set for something like Coca-Cola. It must be very daunting for, like, your first ever gig. Well, yeah, it was. And, you know, they, the, the the role was to be a potter at a potter's wheel. And, I, and we actually had one when I was growing up, and I could kind of do it, but I hadn't done it in ages. So I didn't know. They said, can you do pottery? I was like, well, yeah, I used to do it. So they had this beautiful set, and I remember it was someone's house, like, north of San Francisco, you know, probably Sebastopol or something like this. It was like a ranch house, and um, gorgeous lighting, and a huge crew, and I was just like, wow, this is lots of people for a commercial, and there's food, and, you know, 10 people telling you what to do, and then I got there, and it was like this electric super high-speed, fast, professional potting wheel. <laughs> I couldn't do a thing. I was just like, and the, the clay would go sliding on the thing. And they're like, we thought you said you knew how to do it. And I was like, 
I used to have a kick wheel when I was a kid and I'd make pots and they turned out okay. So I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure they were a little disappointed, but I made the cut and I was still in the commercial and um uh, but I learned, you know, don't, don't say you can do something unless you really can do something. You know, I was like, yeah, I, I guess I could do that. I didn't realize how literally they took those things. Cause I was, you know, 18 or 17 and it was my first gig. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it was a little overwhelming, but it was a good start. So something I read about you when I was doing research about who Dana Sparks is uh, that I found really cool was that you were neighbors with Blake Edwards, and that ultimately led you to getting your first film role. So, And, and for folks who don't know, Blake Edwards, uh, really what he's most well-known for, I think, is probably the Pink Panther series. But uh, you know, tell us what it's like having Blake Edwards as your neighbor. Yeah. Um, and yeah, most people do know him from, from Pink Panther, but uh, to me which I love the Pink Panther, but Days of Wine and Roses was amazing. And the movie 10 was, was just iconic and, and in, in a lot of ways and portrayed a lot of Los Angeles and that mentality of men that I always found amusing. So um, he's got a diverse, you know, background of film that he makes. So when he was doing this, I kind of knew his daughter, not very well. We'd kind of hung out on the beach together in Malibu and, Blake walked by one day and I uh, just remember him kind of like looking over his glasses at me and coming up and talking to me, talking to me at the beach. And so Blake said, I know you're Dana and you know, Jenny and I'm Blake Edwards. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know. I've seen you walking <laughs> down the beach and I'm going to do a movie with my wife and my friend, Jack Lemon. And it's going to be a little family picture and, you know, Jack's, son will be in it and julie's daughter will be in it my daughter's in it and well you're a neighbor that's like practically family and i have a great part for you so i said i'd, I'd love to be in your film of course and he goes well can you remember a phone number and i said sure and i'm sitting in the wet sand at the beach you know we're sitting there talking so i grabbed a stick and i said what is it and he's like 310 whatever blah, blah, blah so i wrote it in the sand i went okay that i can remember and he just laughed. He's like, that's brilliant. So I said, yeah, well, <laughs> I'm not going to forget your number. So, yeah, I met him on the beach, did my first feature film with Jack Lemon and Julie Andrews. And it was amazing. It was a beautiful piece of art. And to this day, Julie still says it's likely her favorite movie that she's done just because of the circumstances and the story was so great. And the way they worked together, it was, it was a very short script. It was like, um, 18 page treatment that we worked off really. And I mean, my part, you know, wasn't huge. It was really Jack and Julie's story. So they all grew that story together as we were filming it. So it was a really unusual circumstance for, for a large film like that. And again, that movie was That's Life. And as you mentioned, that had Jack Lemmon and Julie Andrews, but you also had Robert Loggia and Sally Kellerman. And that's that's quite a cast to have when, again, you're an actress who's just getting her toes wet in the industry. Uh, what did you learn while you were on that set? Well, it was a long, long time ago, but um, <laughs> um, it's really hard to capitalize. I mean, it was just the, the strongest moment to me in a lot of ways was watching Jack do this one scene where it was a party scene and it was a huge camera move and Jack had to stop like a little butterfly and, and talk to each different little table and the thing. And 
because it was so complicated, it was a lot of takes and he did it brilliantly each time and, and with wonderful little turns each time. And I thought, oh man, you have got to be overly prepared to work. Um, you've got to have alternates up your sleeve. You've got to, you know, you got to be able to do it. And he'd have to do it 15 times, but he had to do it several times. And I, and I realized that it wasn't just a one-off when you're working, that that you have to be completely over-prepared. And, and Julie actually hit that home because she, and I, I've seen her say it in several interviews. Julie said to me um, that her, I think it was her voice teacher said something to the effect of, an amateur does it until they've got it right. And a professional does it until it can't go wrong. And I just thought, wow, okay, I got to do more work. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really great lesson to learn. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, just keep doing it. You can't, you can't do it until you get it right once and they'll be like, hey, I learned that. And then go out on stage and try to perform it because it will not be there. You got to know it upside down and backwards. So that was definitely lesson learned. So a lot of fans of soap operas and TV dramas are going to definitely remember you from Falcon Crest as well. And you were there for about two years uh, with a really good long run of that show. Uh, what do you remember about that show that really stands out to you? Falcon Crest was such a treat because we got to shoot on location. And we were up in Napa, San Francisco, Sausalito. It was so amazing and excellent to be to be young and and new on a show and right away just get pulled up to to Napa like that. They were in their seventh season when I came on, so there's a lot of people there that have been in it a long time and it's their daily job and it's work. And for me, it was just fantasy land, you know. Um, especially going up to Northern California where I was from, and my dad always kind of dreamed of owning some land up in Napa and having his own little vineyard. So I, I felt like that was a, a nice thing for him that I got to go up there and, and experience, you know, the vineyards and really be deep in it for quite some time. We're not going to go through your entire resume because we'll be here for days if we did that. But there's one other show I want to talk to you about before we get into Star Trek. And that's one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. That's Murder, She Wrote. You were on Murder, She Wrote, an uh, episode called Alma Murder. Uh, and, you know, I, I love hearing <laughs> good Angela Lansbury stories. So do you have any good memories about working with Angela on that show? Oh, gosh, I can't believe it's one of your favorite shows. I no one can, I, really. <laughs> I, can't, I, I can't remember it all that well. What I remember was that, uh, oh, now her name is leaving me, Dine, um, the co-star on that episode. I could probably look it up real quick. Uh, Dinah Shore. Southern. Dinah Shore? Dinah Shore. Yes. I was just like, this is so bizarre. I'm working with Dinah Shore and Angela Lansbury on the same show. It just was very strange. And Dinah, you know, she. I don't think she worked a lot like on a on, especially on like you know something that's as fast as a one-hour episodic kind of thing you know I think her thing was probably more guest stars on um well I mean talk shows and guest stars on variety shows so this for her learning lines she was just like Dana I just I, you know this is just so much and you know I mean <laughs> she was really dear and very honest and I know that Angela was just really kind with her and supportive and helped her kind of through that fear of like, what am I doing? You know? Um, so it was really nice to see Angela just, just, you know, someone who's like amazing and has done so many things to just, just take her time and work with someone who was like, had a little bit of the jitters, you know? And I was on the outside of that. I was like, well, 
I'm feeling okay, but you know, once somebody in the room gets a little bit off, it can it can grow. So it was just like, nope, it's all good. Let's 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 work through this. And she was very supportive, and that was really nice. You know, we've we've had a lot of guests on the show who have been on Murder She Wrote, and they all have nothing bad to say about Angela. And they've a few of them have had similar stories where they were younger actors, and uh, they would have just a really rough day on set. Like uh, one of our guests was Iona Morris. And she had a day where basically she just blanked out and she said same thing that Angela was just so cool and calm and helping her get back into character and, and deal with being on set. So it's it's really cool to hear that veteran actors are also have that same kind of problem. Yeah. And everybody's had that moment. I mean, I had that moment and it's just horrifying. And it's, it's, it's such a strange thing because it's a physicality to it, too. And literally, you just feel it kind of for me. It's like I felt it from my heart and it's just it's like that clammy you're going to faint kind of situation. It's like, I just started to get red and like overheated and just, Ooh, it's not a fun place to go when you're on the soundstage. <laughs> and it's wow. So to have someone to throw you a lifeline as opposed to someone who has a tissy and, you know, leaves the set and says calming ones, you know, they know when they got their shit together. Cause I've, I've seen that too. And it's not a pretty thing to witness. Um, and, and no reason for it. And to me, that's the person who's the most um, not certain of themselves that they're going to behave like that, you know? So that's rare, fortunately. Trek Untold will return momentarily. Trek Untold is brought to you by Triple Fiction Productions. If you're a Star Trek cosplayer looking for props or toy collector looking to spice up your shelves, Triple Fiction Productions has you covered. Triple Fiction Productions produces affordable and unique 3D-printed Trek-inspired products from the original series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, and the movies. You can expect the same amount of care and attention to detail in any of the items in their catalog, whether it's a prop replica for use in a fan film, or part of a cosplay, or accessories and playsets for figures from Playmates, Migos, or Diamond Select. Own your very own tricorder or phaser rifle with working lights, the bridge of the Enterprise E for your Playmates figures, or any other item from countless species and ships from the Star Trek universe. All products are 3D printed in the USA and are constantly evolving and improving based on fan feedback. To learn more about their products, visit them at triple-fictionproductions.net or on Facebook at facebook.com slash triplefictionproductions. Triple Fiction Productions taking Star Trek where no 3D printer has gone before. Wrestling is on two levels right now. Either you all in and having a good time with what's going on and enjoying the body slams, headlocks, submissions, and the tope suicidas, or you're just pissed the hell off of what's going on in the wrestling landscape. What kind of wrestling podcast has the same kind of dilemmas? Your guys here at Turnbuckle Tabloid. Jada Rest Santee and Olski is here to bring to you the ridiculousness, the buffoonery, the nonsense, and all that that is just straight wrestling. We're here with that opinionated New York swag and the ridiculousness that goes along with it. Get us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play Music, Google Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts. Turnbuckle Tabloid, you don't want to miss it. And we're here every week, unlike some wrestling promotions. Laters. We now return to Trek Untold. All right, so Dana, let's jump into Star Trek The Next Generation. You appeared on Season 2, uh, the 11th episode of the season. That episode is called Contagion. 
So, uh, Dana, can you tell us this first how you got cast to be in Star Trek? Well, you know, it's just a generic story of, of an audition and, and then booking it. Um, and I don't remember a lot about it, actually. So it was just me in a hallway with probably 10 other actresses that I knew, <laughs> <laughs> all, all looking at each other going, who's going to get it this time? And uh, it was my turn to, to, to get that. So I, I remember being on the set. I remember, I mean, loving Star Trek and, and being on the set and getting it. That's more what I remember than the audition. Well, what do you remember about being there day one, being on the bridge, especially? It must have been just a really cool thing to see up close and personal. It wasn't. It, I was surprised that it was, again, sets are smaller than they often seem. And this set did seem small to me when I walked on it. And I was like, oh, wow, this is it. It's so close. But of course, you know, there's not a lot to the bridge. So it it um, it was it wasn't an overwhelming thing because sometimes when you walk onto a set that's like really big and magical and lots going on, it can just be very distracting. But it was very clean and like this is your space. This is where you're going to stand. It um it it and it it gave me a feeling of of feeling solid in my space, like really grounded in my space, which was nice. And uh, Jonathan was super nice to me. Everybody was nice. I mean, it was a really great crew and they were very welcoming to me. So that was, that was good. The only thing that was uncomfortable were the uniforms. And you've probably heard that before. <laughs> Actually, uh, you've been the first person to say they weren't too great feeling. What, what was up with them? Well, they pulled down on your shoulders. So it, it's kind of like by the end of the day, standing there, your neck is just like up around your ears. Cause at least, at least for me, I'm, I'm always, conscious of clothes that pull on my shoulders like that because it's right on those you know places that can give you a headache <laughs> so I just remember being like oh my god this uniform is going to be the death of me and uh, you know and it's a it's a onesie so it's not like you can really take part of it off it's like it's all off or all on so um you know we go to lunch in it which was really cool actually more than being on the set and doing the scenes to me it was like going to the commissary with the other cast and being in my outfit and being the cool kid on the block. You know, it's like, <laughs> hey, I'm on Star Trek. I'm in my little outfit. It was, I remember just thinking that that was really, really kind of neat because the commissary is just such an, um, a special thing about, uh, you know, look, um, studios. So were you hanging out in the commissary that day with like any of the leads or were you with the other, uh, you know, I don't really know if it's a hierarchy, I guess is what I'm asking when you go to the commissary right. in these kinds of places. Yeah. I remember having lunch with Brett and Jonathan. Um, and that was just one day, but that's one day that I, for some reason, I really remember it. It was just, I can actually picture myself in the uniform side by side with them and we're walking down to have lunch and it was kind of like being in the mod squad or something, you know, it was just <laughs> that, Wow. I'm on the Paramount lot and I'm working on Star Trek. It doesn't get any better than this. I just so remember that moment and that feeling in my head. Yeah, it's a great so, memory. It's yeah, something I'm sure all of us want to have happen. I wish everybody could. Acting's one of the best jobs ever. I'm always grateful for it. And I always take time to, to reflect on it while it's happening because it can be so fast and, you know, you can have 14 hours days and be overworked and exhausted and concerned about your lines or what somebody said or, you know, what you ate isn't sitting right. But every time I work, it's you have to take that time and just go, wow, this is really. And that that's something that I learned from Jack, actually, on that slide, because 
and people know this and um, he's talked about it a little bit and I don't really know where it came from with him, but before every shot, he would just mutter to himself, magic time. And it's like the go um, word. Yeah, it was just delightful. And it was just like, you know, this is here, this is it. And we are also blessed to have this job. So in this episode, you play Ensign Williams, and uh, you show up about halfway into it, and you're mostly on the bridge with Jonathan Frakes, Marina Sirtis, and Will Wheaton. Uh, and so I got to ask, what's it like having Jonathan Frakes yell at you in your scene? <laughs> uh, yeah, can anybody have some rocks at least? <laughs> um, <laughs> I liked it because it was all so serious, you know? And then he threw that at it, and it just, I... One of the things I, I, I watched it again recently and I was like, yeah, hey, get your head out of the screen, you know, so that your face is more on camera. It's like, <laughs> oh, it's a great shot of your hair, Dana. But um, I remember having this little smirk when he said this, like, I, like in the middle of it all, he's going to throw me a joke. And I, I just kind of I liked that a lot. That was very good. That was great writing that moment. So were you given any direction about what to do at your console? You know, I must have been given some direction, but don't remember what it was <laughs> i'm i'm assuming i followed it well um <laughs> but yeah i don't i really don't i don't have a lot of recollection of that it was just ah uh, yeah okay i don't know <laughs> now in this episode you were directed by joseph l scanlon he directed four episodes of next generation and ultimately quit the show because he as as he said uh the cast was so out of control when they weren't filming uh, and this was actually the third episode he did. So what do you remember, if anything, about working with Joseph? Isn't that interesting? Um, out of control and they weren't filming. See, when you're a guest, you're not, you're not really privy to all that's going on behind the scenes. So uh, interesting that that would be what he's quoted as saying. Um, I don't, again, I wish I had a story for you on this, but I don't. Well, what do you remember about uh, his type of direction? I don't at all. Mm, okay. <laughs> I I know it's terrible. I should make up stories, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> we'll never know. You can just tell us whatever you want. I know, right? I was like, yeah, Joe, he, he pulled me aside and said, make sure you rock left when everyone else is rocking left. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, sure I, I'm sure I asked about that because that was a worry to me. I'm like, really, you know, if we get, you know, how do, how do you do the Star Trek wiggle when you're up there and, you know, someone throws a torpedo at you or throws a rock at your ship? You know, how do you react? So I was nervous about that, but I don't think that I really ever had that moment. So, cause we had firing photon torpedoes, but then they never hit us. So yep. it was just like, Oh, so we had stillness. We had to act, you know, like, why are we, why are we still alive? Um, so I didn't have to do the, you know, the shake of, <laughs> cause that was a concern of mine. I don't want to, I don't want to go left when everyone else is going right. You know, then they'd have to kick me off. So did you ever audition for any other parts in other Star Trek shows or even another one in Next Gen? I did. I auditioned for one of the Star Trek films. And I don't remember which one it was. I think it was the one that Mackenzie Westmore actually was in. Because um, I remember it shot out at Lake Sherwood. Uh, and I don't remember which one it was. But so I had an audition for a Star Trek movie and I was on my way to Santa Barbara when I got the call. And it was that afternoon. And um, my agent said, it's one line. And do you want to do it? And I was like, heck yeah, it's a Star Trek movie, of course. So I turned around 
stopped at my house, got something else to wear. And my acting coach at the time said, you know, don't say your lines out loud when you're rehearsing because then you'll really get into your head what they're about and you'll start hearing yourself and you'll edit yourself and it won't be real. So just know them, know them really well. So I thought, well, it's one line. That's great. This is, this will be a good time to try that out. So it's one line. And the one line is they're sending a distress call captain. See how I, I even fumbled on it right there. <laughs> <laughs> they're sending a distress call captain. And of course it's urgent, right? So they're sending a distress call captain, you know, it's gotta be powerful. And well, ah. so drive in two and a half hours, park, get there, wait in line. It's all the anxious people. You're looking at other girls in the hallway that are sexier than you or taller than you or cuter or whatever. So all your nerves are going and finally get in there after waiting about half an hour and they open up the door, they let me in and they introduce me to three of the like eight people that are in the room. And I was like, wow, that's a lot. And so there was a lead in line. I don't know what it was for mine, but somebody says something and I respond. So somebody said something and I'm supposed to say, we're getting a distress call, Captain. And it just came out, distress call, Captain. <laughs> just silence. And I was like, I'm sorry. You know, long time in the hall. Just let me, let me do that again. They're like, okay, do it again. Fine. Came out bad again the next time around. And I just went, oh man, this is just terrible. So I thought, okay, and they go, that's okay, do it again. I went, so I turned around and I just and I just went, that's a nice dress, Captain. <laughs> and they were just like, okay, thank you, goodbye. <laughs> no joking in Star Trek. <laughs> so, yeah, it was not the best. Uh, not my shining moment, but that's okay. Yeah, you got a way it more fun more. story anyway from it. Uh, yeah. So what do you remember about being on the set itself that day? And again, working with Marina, Jonathan, Will. I've heard it's a really kind of happy, fun set to be on. You know, it it was a fun set to be on. And everybody was really kind. Rena was great. Um, it, it, it's kind of just like a warm, glowy feeling all the way around everything that I remember about it. But I don't, it wasn't, they were on such a roll, even though it was only their second season. They had it down. So it was kind of, you know, you come in, you go there, you do the work, and you're gone. It wasn't like a lot of hanging around. Everybody kind of went to their dressing rooms. I'm sure people had a lot more dialogue to learn than I did. So I was just kind of there, you know, with nothing to do because I had a few lines here and there, and I, I had them down and was left to my own. So I did, I did kind of just hang out and walk around and be in the space and got to look at props and went in and I looked at wardrobe and um, that was really fun. I, I kind of like the behind the scenes stuff. So I'll often, you know, if, if they've got the time, I'll talk to the prop master or I'll go in and talk to the wardrobe person or the special effects person and, and kind of figure it out and just kind of just be a geek and ask silly questions. And I know I did a lot of that on Star Trek more than hang out with the crew. So I'm assuming they didn't let you keep the uniform, though, did they? They did not. <laughs> so Contagion first aired March 20th, 1989. Did you watch the episode when it first aired? I did. And what did you think of it? I thought that it was fantastic. I mean, it was kind of a confusing episode, I thought. I remember even reading it and going, what? What, what is, why is this happening and what's going on? And I mean, they were all, you know, confused too. So it made sense. It was like until they figured out what was going on. And I just, I loved that 
I mean, it came down to data, uh, data basically turning himself off. I just <laughs> thought that was so great. It was just like, and he did a reboot, you know, exactly. it was like, turn your computer off, turn it back on. Everything <laughs> will be fine. <laughs> I just thought that was so great. It was just a simple charming and to you know something that was like so confusing it was just like just turn it off walk away give it a second it'll be fine so um yeah it was really fun to watch i couldn't really believe that i was actually on star trek that was pretty neat and you said you just watched it again and you were feeling a little critical of yourself uh, looking back on your performance is that correct I don't know any actors that are not critical of their own performances. <laughs> so, yes, a little bit. But I thought I thought I was all right. I was fine. I'm like, yeah, you know, you did the part. You did it well. It's just I didn't. I remember, like, really wanting to be the person that's actually looking at their computer when you get asked a question, right? So it's like, do we have whatever? And you have to answer. Well, of course, you're going to be looking at your screen. But, you know, you get you get these older, wiser actors who want their face to be on screen and they'll be like, you know, they'll assume that they had actually checked that thing about two seconds before the captain answered them a question (laughs) (laughs) and already be looking up and say, of course, we have torpedoes, captain, you know, and such and such back online. Yes, it's online. I happened to check it three minutes ago. That's how come I know without looking down at my computer during my line, you know. So uh, this is those little tricks like that that uh, put your face up on the screen. But I'm fine. I think I was real and I was I was in the moment more than, you know, trying to have my face in the camera. So it felt good. So Star Trek Next Generation was still fairly early on in your career. And we got plenty more to talk about, of course. But one of the things I want to actually ask about before we get to some of my personal favorites is uh, you were also in L.A. Law for a few episodes. And one of those uh, also had Rene Aubergenois in it. So do you remember working with mm-hmm. him or being around him? Um, I do not remember Rene being around so much. Uh, you know, my my thing was with Leland and Dan O'Herlihy was my grandfather. So I was really keyed into them and then the entire um, law firm when we did that big, uh, you know, meeting of the minds in the law firm at the grand table there. I was in with, worked with, with, most of the cast on that, but I didn't work with Renee, I don't think. Of course, besides L.A. Law, you were in tons of other things like 30-something, Baywatch, Matlock. Uh, but one of the things I want to actually ask you about that I found while I was doing research about you was a show called Gabriel's Fire that I never heard of. And it was this like really cool show with James Earl Jones, uh, a detective show with him, which lasted a season. Uh, it seems like it was just way ahead of its time. And uh, you were in one of those episodes as well. So uh, what do you remember about Gabriel's Fire and working with James Earl Jones? You know, that was a great show, and it won Emmys in the first year. I think it it won Emmys and Image Award. I know James Earl Jones won an Emmy and the Image Award, and then I think it got two more Emmys after that. And it's like, what does a show need to stay on the air? It was ridiculous that that show was canceled. It was really good. Um, working with James, and I worked only with James and Dylan. Um, and James Earl Jones gave me his bit of acting advice. And I won't even attempt to do his voice, but um, <laughs> you can try if you want. It'd be I, fun to hear. Uh, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> but um, I, I remember two things working with him. Just aside, you know, you remember the asides more than the work, really. And we were talking about music, and he said, "You know, what do you like?" And I was really into. Um, 
like Etta James then and Dinah Washington and all those great blues singers. And he was like, that's fantastic. And I was like, yeah, I just, if, if I could choose, I'd just be an excellent, you know, blues singer back in the day, if I had a life to choose. And he's like, yeah, well, the days were tougher then, but it is, it is romantic and, you know, don't quit the day job kid. And while you're at it, he goes, he goes, here's my acting tip. Always have a prop. He goes, it's all about the props. He's like, have something in your hands because you don't want to just be standing there empty handed and flat footed in the scene. He's like, so just, just notice. He goes, I often have something in my hand. It just grounds me and gives me, you know, a purpose. And I was like, that's really cool. That's, I thought that was pretty generous. And, and it was, and it was kind of an aside. It was kind of a joke because I mean, he's an incredible actor and doesn't really need a prop, but um, I think it was really sweet that he was, handing me something that I could connect with, you know, again, one of those great actors that just wants to help everyone in the room. Oh, yeah, that's great. So, that's, that's a really cool thing. Yeah. Now, now I have to go back and watch as many James Earl Jones and things to see if he actually is holding props in his hands in all of his scenes. <laughs> exactly. It'll be a drinking game. Every <laughs> time James Earl Jones holding a prop, you have to have a shot. <laughs> And on a more lighter note, too, uh, doing my research again, I get to, you know, dig up as much as I can and watch as much as I can of, with people I'm sure. talking to. And I had the pleasure of being able to watch an episode of Full House for my research because you were in season three uh, in an episode called No More Mr. Dumb Guy. And you spend that episode mm -hmm. being hit on by Bob Saget. <laughs> so tell me about working on Full House. <laughs> um, that was a really interesting show to work on because it's the first time I'd ever really worked with young children. A lot. So it's um, my hats are off to them for comedic timing, working, which, you know, W.C. Fields maybe had it right when he talked about working with children, because it's just a complete scene stopper when you're doing the work. So you're going along and it's like, and then the coach has to feed the line to the child who then says it or not. <laughs> and it was just such a strange thing to experience. I'd never done that before. It was like, you're going along, everyone's in it, and Ashley doesn't want to say the words. So you have to wait while they go get the other one and switch them out, and then you pick up the scene, and it's like, wow, this is, this is a different way of working. Um, so that's one of the things I really remember from that. And then the other one where he had to spill the coffee on me, and you know he's all fumbly and, and hitting on me, that was just so much fun. That working with him and John Stamos on that in that scene in that episode was really a gas. Yeah, let's not forget it wasn't just coffee. You also got caviar in your hair in one scene. That must have been fun. Oh, I forgot about that. Yes. And does he tries does he try that's oh, that had to be taken from some old black and white film, right? A, a silent, you know, trying to eat the caviar. No, it was a Blake Edwards film, The Chicken in the Hair. That's what <laughs> I was thinking of. Thinking trying to eat get ha food out of someone's hair. Um Yes, I had forgotten about that. Smelly. I don't like caviar. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone really likes caviar. I think they just like to have it. I think they do. It's kind of, you know, it's a thing. It's like you put the onions on it. And when you put all, enough stuff on it, it doesn't taste like caviar anymore. So I guess that's <laughs> what they do. But not me. I'm not falling for that. <laughs> so you mentioned it was a little hard sometimes with the children actors being on set and them trying to get themselves together. So what do the adult actors do to kind of keep themselves, keep their energy going in between takes? Basically, you just stood there. I mean, if they really had to change the kids out, like if somebody had to cry or just didn't want to cry or whatever it was, and, you know, they 
they weren't literally right there on the set. They would be in a dressing room. So it was like, you know, take one of the girls away and the other girl would come out. So they'd step off the set a little bit, but mostly you don't because then you're wrangling chickens again. So basically, and as far as me being a guest, I'm not going to be that person that they need to look for. So I would just stand there on my mark and wait. (laughs) It's like, okay, maybe someone would strike up a conversation, but it was like, and it only happened a couple of times, but it was just enough that it was like, this is, this is really kind of a way to stretch out the day, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Dana, I'd like to take a quick little trip with you now to Harmony, the New England town where Passions took place, a show that you were on for about eight years, nearly 200 episodes as Grace Bennett. So really first thing is what's it like to be on a show where you had such a long run? Well, the first thing is that not 200 episodes because good old IMDb, it's really hard to add yourself to episodes. So probably more like, I don't know, 1500 episodes. I don't know. I've never really counted. It's yeah, it's well over a thousand episodes. So that's, that's a lot of hours. Um, I'm going to admit I wasn't able to watch all of them before for my research. No, you probably can't. (laughs) (laughs) And I just went back with some friends who had never seen it. And we watched the first two episodes last week. Uh, and just we were dying it was it was i was surprised that with the the young cast the young young inexperienced cast that we had how well they actually did you know looking back on it now i was like you know what they really did good they they stood their ground they were shiny and bright and beautiful and engaged and acted well it was like really fun to go back and watch it again um cuz it's all it's all out there now on uh youtube so um, it was great. It was a great show. I have lifelong friends from that show still. So that's really a blessing. It was very bizarre but and unique soap opera as well. I remember actually my, my mom used to watch it. Uh, I know lots of folks who used to watch it as well. Uh, really for me, like the one thing I remember the most from it, if I watch it with my mom occasionally, was I remember Tabitha and Timmy. They had such great sure. chemistry. Uh, <laughs> do you have any good stories about those two? Yes, I do. Um, Juliet, I adore I mean, she's so professional. She had so much dialogue in that show because she was the talking character. You know, she explained all the backstory every episode. And she, you know, she wasn't just talking to Timmy because she was crazy. She had to tell the audience what was going on. So she was always so ready, always so skilled and generous and still could be lighthearted, you know, and literally had to carry the weight of Timmy. I mean, she got a massage every week because of carrying Josh around. Hmm. Um, you know, 40 pounds on your hip all day that adds up quickly. So she is just so professional and, and just really, really lovely lady who would never say a bad word about anything or anyone, just ultimate professional. And, you know, and then you're working with Josh, who's like, kind of, he was like a little wild man. I mean, he'd often say the wrong thing and the wrong line and, kind of wander off and, and he was just like this this elfin little artistic guy that had his own spirit in his own way um uh when he left us it was terrible it was really awful but he got to do so many characters um you know everything from Raiders of the Lost Ark to Casablanca to Saturday Night Fever I mean he got to dress up and play all those different characters and passions and he was just 
so excited by it all. He loved it so much. Another show I used to watch uh, a lot of, and I, I know you were in as well, was JAG. So you went from Starfleet to the Air Force, uh, where you played uh, Carolyn Imes. What, what do you remember about JAG? Mm-hmm. JAG was a JAG was fun. Catherine Bell and I and Carrie Turner. Uh, I had fun with both of them. Uh, Catherine was very girly, flirty, fun. She and I were just like goofy together and had fun. And because um, it's a you know, there's a lot of seriousness to that show. And again, it was it was one of those shows that does a lot of uh, overtime. So you're working very long hours. It's easy to get you know, tired and lost in that show, um, especially as a guest. But, um, and that's one of those places where I saw somebody melt down and it was just like, oh, this is so hard to watch and let's just all be kind. Um, and and Catherine was just really fun to play with. And Kat, Carrie Turner and I, I haven't seen her in a little while now, but Carrie Turner and I used to hang out a lot and play golf together and just we became really good friends after JAG. Um it's a good show. It was a really good show. I mean, Don Belisario has done so many great shows that I'd be happy to be on anything that he produced. You know, I wish I wish I was acting back in the days of um, Magnum P.I. That would have been cool. So coming up, you're also going to be in a movie called A Deadly Bridenapping, which should hopefully be released uh, later this year. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that's one of those lifetime films. And I get to play the mother of the bride to Brittany Underwood. She's from One Life to Live. Um, great. Talk about shooting fast. That's, that's the fastest I've ever worked on a show. And most, I think we did like, I mean, passions, you do a lot of pages a day, but you do it maybe once or twice. And then the scene carries on. Whereas in these, you know, you're doing pickups and reverses and it's two cameras instead of four or one camera instead of four. So you have to do the scene a bunch of times and sometimes you'll pick it up in the middle or the end or the beginning or and I was working with another soap actor. He just goes, man, this is hard. I said, I know. I thought soaps were hard. This is hard because it was just no rehearsal time. I mean, I think we ran through it once and then you'd shoot a scene and then you'd pick it up and carry on and just do it. And it was uh, the cast really had their stuff together. Um, Brittany's done several of the shows for this production company. So she w- knew what she was doing. And and even amongst all that, we just we were giggly. I mean, Greg Perot was in it, and we just had a fun time on the set. And it was it was a lot of laughter, and um, it's going to be good. It was it was cool. I like the story a lot, so I'm looking forward to it coming out. So Dana, what else are you working on these days, and what do our fans have to look forward to see you in in the near future? Well, as we talked about, we've got the Deadly Bridemaids coming out, and that's going to be a lifetime thing. That's the only thing that I've got that's on the boards that's going to be coming out anytime soon that I can talk about. So um, basically, I've been, you know, handling this forced sabbatical as well as I can. Um, it it did. My wheels did come flying off with it because I did have COVID-19 uh-huh. and did recover from it. Yeah, I I took the full ride. Um, oh, how, how bad I was, was it, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, no, of course. Um, it wasn't that bad for me. Um, I definitely had symptoms. And I was very sick for probably a week and mostly exhausted for about two weeks. Um but came through it, never had to go to emergency, never in the hospital, any of that, and tested positive. The interesting thing to me was, and still is, is all the inconsistencies. Of course, it's something new. But how quickly they could say, 
after 14 days. And if you're symptom free, then blah, blah, blah. I went and got my test on the 14th day and I was feeling okay, but the tests were finally available and I was positive after 14 days. So to me, it was kind of like, why are they telling people, you know, after 14 days of your first symptom, you're probably over it. No, you're not. Um, So I, I felt kind of out of my head for a good 10 days after that. And then after um, only a week after I was positive, I went in and I got a test that was negative. So I'm really happy that I made it through as easily as I could because it's, it's, it's so serious. And I mean, we all know that. So I feel really blessed that I made it through and hopefully the antibodies will mean something. Nobody wants to say it does, but I think it kind of does. So, you know, um, I'm ready to work, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've got a lot of friends, actually, who have relatives who've had it. I know a few actually have died from it, in fact. So I'm glad to hear that you recovered from it and that you're doing much better now. Oh, thank you. And I'm sorry to hear that. But, yeah, strange times. But I think in the meantime, I think a lot of our listeners might be a little surprised to hear that you're kind of sort of uh, a little bit into extreme sports, maybe we can call it. Really? That's that's how I'm going to call it, at least, <laughs> from what you were just telling me before. <laughs> extreme? No, it's more extreme nothing than I could do. my adrenaline going anymore. I like to ski. I snow ski. Um, I used to um, jet ski a ton, and that was really fun because you go out and you break the waves and you go flying up in the air, and that that was great. But that was in the early days. Now, now it's just um, skiing and paddleboard, and I love to boogie board. That's really that's. That just makes me giggle all day. So I'm I'm really happy that I live close to the beach and I can jump on my bike and go down there and catch some waves. And I don't do the big stuff, but uh, yeah, boogie boarding's great. I mean, you could be doing yoga and that'd be far more extreme than anything I do at home. Ah, okay. <laughs> so it's a low bar. <laughs> I know some great online yoga classes. We could get you going. <laughs> yes, please, please. <laughs> So, Dana, throughout your career, what has been the most valuable lesson about acting that you've learned and continue to utilize to this day? Hmm. You know, I'm always learning. And everybody always kind of tells you to really be true to yourself as an actress and and trust your instincts and do your homework, of course. But um, to really, it's so hard to put it into words, but to really... Be true to what your voice says about that character. It's like, yeah, you go and you do all the homework and and you you know your backstory and you kind of attach to things that are a part of you. Um, but oh, it's it's so personal. You have to just go with your instinct. It's like you do all your homework and then you have to drop it. And that's the hardest part is dropping it. It's like an athlete. You know, they train and train and train and train. And in that moment, you got to let it go and just be with whatever flies, whatever's in the moment and be so prepared that you're ready to, to, to juke or jive or, you know, step this way. And it's the same with acting and to have the confidence that what you bring into the room that's most powerful is you. And you can't be like, oh, you know, I watched that episode and I think this is how they want the character to go. And I, I just, those are the times that I don't get parts. It's like when you're, when you're trying to fit into a certain box because you think that might be what they want to have learned, you know, kind of late in the game that, that the casting directors might not even have a script yet, that they don't know what they want, that they're looking for something that just shines. 
you know, that that's going to fit in so many boxes, but also that shines. So it's like whatever it does to make you shine as yourself. That's what I try to listen to. And I have to learn that every day. Every time I pick up a script, I'm like, oh, no, 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 don't go down that hole of, you know, trying to be what if. It's like, just just be you. Just be super prepared and be you and hope that's right, you know. And that's a great piece of advice for any of our listeners out there who are aspiring to go into the same field as you. Uh, and on that same note, is there any advice you ever got from any veterans in the industry that has also been really important to you? Well, I told you the Julie Andrews one. and. Yeah. That has always rung true and, and, you know, know it backwards, forwards, inside out till you, till you can't forget it. I mean, it's just so know your shit. Every bad actor will say it. Got to know your shit. And it's the truth. I mean, that's the basic one. Um, And it's funny. I was in an acting class and we've had the same, it was with the, this actress who I, who I'd run across later. And I said, do you remember when we were doing that scene in class and we both thought we were doing the same part. And so we got up to do it because it, we, you didn't rehearse. You just did it. You know, you took it home, you learned your line and you came up and you did it. And, uh, you know, she thought she was playing Joan and I thought I was playing Joan. And so when we started, we both stood there looking at each other, not saying a thing because neither of us thought we had the first line. <laughs> so the teacher goes, uh, what's going on here? And I'm like, well, I'm waiting for her to say the first line. It's like, no, it's your line. It was like, oh, hell. And I went, okay, well, then I'll play Pam. You play Joan. And they went, what? And I was like, well, sure. I know the Pam lines too, so let's just go. And that's what you have You have to, you got to have it. You got to know the shit. You got to know your lines. You got to know theirs too. Hmm. <laughs> you know, um, some actors focus on their work so much. And it's like, mm, you got to know it all. And I can't help but imagine Julie Andrews literally saying what you just said. So that, to me, kind of tickles me. Yeah, I saw her in an interview not that long ago, and she was saying it again. And I was like, that's fantastic. <laughs> I, it just, I, it, it really rung, rung my bell. I was like, oh, my, I'm going to go home and know my lines really, really well tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Dana, or uh, maybe I should call you Ensign Williams in this case, but uh, what is the best thing about being part of the Star Trek universe? You know, the best thing about being in the Star Trek universe is that it, doesn't end i mean they keep doing new star treks and it it keeps people so keyed into it and they go back and they watch the old ones and they watch the new ones and it's really nice to have something that has such a lifetime and to be part of it and something that was part of my childhood as well it's really a gift would you ever consider auditioning for a role on discovery or picard or any of the uh, upcoming new trek shows i would do anything on any star trek any minute <laughs> that's what we like to hear i like to, i just finished watching the expanse um i love that uh and um i just i just love the space show that's really cool i'm doing a part a, a small part actually so i'm doing some work on space command do you know ah. that at all yeah that's a fun show to be a part of yeah they're doing a audio recording like a radio play and i did a part on that so it's nice to have a little more space under my belt and and be part of Space Command. I hope to do one of the episodes in the future, but we'll see how that goes. But uh, really fun project, great people to work with. Um, Mark and Elaine Zakree are just so sweet and supportive and great people. So I, I love that they're doing this project. Well, now I'm going to have to make sure I listen for your voice whenever that episode pops up. Yeah, it's um, it's it's not one of the episodes. They're actually they did a uh. 
So they did a graphic novel, and then with the graphic novel, they did a uh, radio play that goes with it. So it's kind of the prequel to Space Command. Ah, okay. It's a setup. So it's a little bit going backwards. Yeah, it's really fun. It was great. Great, great cast on the read-through, actually. So it'll be fun when it comes out. Now, there's a real interesting show that you did back in the early 90s called Arresting Behavior. And that was a show that was pretty unique for its time. Can you tell us a little bit about that obscure gem? So there's a show that I did quite some time ago. People don't talk about my comedy a lot. I mean, other than the, the, the um, what was the show we talked about? Um, the kids. Full House? Um, yeah, Full House. So I did Full House. I did a couple other comedies. I did the George Lent show. Um, but I did one that was called Arresting Behavior. That yeah. was so much fun. Um, and I played a lesbian on that, which was pretty early for that kind of behavior on, you know, national network TV. It was like, wow, all right, yeah, this and is, we kissed. This is 1992, <laughs> in fact. It's kind of a big deal for 92. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that wasn't happening a lot on TV. So I really, and we had a great scene where my brothers find out, you know, they're just, they're just ding-dongs. It was kind of like Reno 911. <laughs> you know, they were just like totally clueless to who I was as their sister. And I did a couple episodes on that. I'd, I'd love to see that out on Netflix or come around or something, because it was really funny and, and ahead of its time style-wise. And um, But that was the resting behavior with Larry Levin uh, producing it. And uh, Chris Mulkey and Ron Eldar were in it. Um, it was great. It was very fun to do that. Uh, I bet it's hiding on some corner of YouTube somewhere. I hope so. I'm going to find it because I need to watch it again. <laughs> well, if you find it, let me know. I definitely will. <laughs> well, it's great talking with you. Yeah, thank you so I love much, that Dana. You do your homework. You know, that means a lot. It's great. I do my Be best to do that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I do my best to make sure that I know what the heck I'm talking about with you guys. So, yeah, Dana, I'm yeah. very appreciative of your time today and your generosity with all of your information and your stories. And uh, hopefully, I look forward to meeting you at a convention one day if you do any of those. That would be great. I would love to do that. Okay. Well, take care. Thank you, Dana. Have a good night. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. So that was our chat with Dana Sparks, who was very gracious with her time and knowledge today. And now you listeners can also hear what I meant when I said I had a little flub in this episode. I did my best to cover my butt here, calling something like that an extreme sport, something that's clearly not extreme in any way whatsoever. But that's a mistake that's just too silly to remove. I basically just had a giant brain fart during the interview, and I couldn't remember what exactly that she did. So I was like, well, this kind of encompasses all that stuff. But no... No, it really doesn't in any way whatsoever. Speaking of something fun, though, the episode that Dana appeared in, Contagion, is notable for being the first episode where Captain McCard orders tea, Earl Grey, hot. Although he's unable to actually drink the tea this time around because the ship is malfunctioning in quite a spectacular fashion. Now, if the title of the Star Trek episode we were talking about today got you in the mood to check out some Trek episodes that are actually about virus outbreaks, I can recommend you check out the original series episode, The Naked Time, which is also famous for giving us shirtless fencing Sulu, and the next-gen episode, The Naked Now, which is, in fact, actually quite similar to the one I just described from the original series. Deep Space Nine also had several good ones about viruses that I like, but the one I'm going to recommend today is called The Quickening, which is, of course, being Deep Space Nine, a much darker take on the subject of viruses, but still a very strong episode about Dr. Bashir. I think it's one of those episodes that really kind of encapsulates his character and shows his growth as a human from season one all the way to, I believe this is now, season four. Or, you know, if you don't want to be living in reality and you want something a little bit sillier that isn't about viruses... You can try the next-gen episode of The Royale, which is the episode that comes right after Contagion. And really, it's got Data wearing a cowboy hat, so I don't think I need to say much more to sell this to you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Trek Untold. 
If you haven't already, please subscribe to this show. And if you can, leave a review and rating. We would appreciate it very much if you did. You can also follow us on social media. Just look for Trek Untold on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you there. And of course, we'd like to hear your thoughts about this week's episode. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can check out patreon.com slash trekuntold to learn how you can keep our ship operating at full power. And you can also check out some of our merchandise at teespring.com slash stores slash trekuntold. Once again, thank you to our sponsor, Triple Fiction Productions, and shout out to Scott Ray for setting up this interview. If you'd like to book this week's guest for a convention appearance or an autograph signing event, email Scott at scottray67 at aol.com. This has been Trek Untold. I'm Matthew Kaplowitz, and until next time, fortune favors the bold.